chapter 2, and uh, we are down here in verse 6, 7, and 8, 5, 6, 7, 8, verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And again, we're just kind of taking our time through here. I don't want to run through this because of what Paul is doing here in the rebuke to the Corinthians, but in doing that, there is the corrective doctrine. And the corrective doctrine here is critical for us to see so that we then too can be on guard and to be careful as we go through. And again, what Paul's rebuking the Corinthians for is the adopting, they are adopting human wisdom in order to, in their pursuit of spiritual understanding, spiritual enlightenment, spiritual knowledge, they're using human wisdom to do it and to try to gain there. And so Paul, the first five, four chapters here, focuses in on the danger of following after human wisdom, of adopting it, and so forth. And again, we, we begin to kind of dig in here a little bit as Paul goes a little deeper now in verse 6. Verse 5, we looked at last time, and, and I know on the video it's 5 to 8, 6 to 8, and that's because we're talking about all four verses. But in verse 6 now, Paul brings in something, howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. And Paul makes a reference here to the princes of this world. So a little deeper now. It's not just... It's dangerous for you on, on a, this level, but now it's dangerous in a deeper manner. And really, he's rebuked. Why, he, why in his rebuke of their adopting human wisdom and wisdom of this world and the danger of it, he brings up this issue of the princes of the world, of this world. Okay, Now, he is not talking about what most people say when they read this about the princes of this world and had the princes which none of the princes of this world knew is he say most people say that's Nero it's Rome it's a human agency and that is not what Paul's talking about Paul is not talking that if Rome had known what was going to happen they wouldn't have killed Christ not at all Rome could care less Rome killed the Lord because he claimed to be a king he claim to be a political leader so when you think about here about what's going on why is Paul bringing this up and he's literally going to start talking about the the adversary he's not talking about Caesar or Herod or Pilate or any of the any of the human agency he's rather going to start talking about that operative that's working behind the scenes behind the government we call that the deep state okay or or the dark state or the dark stars depending on who you want to talk to okay but and and, and so what, why does paul bring this up well he brings it up because there is an operative in the world today that keep that that's whole design is to keep people blinded and ignorant and the Corinthians are playing right into the hands of that operation, the hands of the satanic policy of evil. And again, the, the Satan's plan is to keep people ignorant, to keep them blinded of what God's doing today. Uh, if you look over at 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, which believe not. Why? Why is he blinded? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So there is a God of this world. We'll see it in a little bit here about the prince, the power of the air. And there's, there's an operative behind the scenes 
that's design, operation, policy, plan, procedures, however you want to call it, is designed to keep people blinded and ignorant. And then the second issue of why he brings this up is really the real danger here that the Corinthians and, and the church today, you look around and where do the church today, how do they come to wisdom? And hum, they go right after the human viewpoint and the human theology and human wisdom and they, they literally come over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. They're literally going to do what 2 Timothy 2 here warns and that is by playing in, into the hands of the satanic policy of evil, the believer, the Corinthians, are literally playing right into the hands of the satanic rebellion against God. And that's what's scary about this. That's what's startling here. And what the Corinthians, and again, the church today, doesn't understand is that by adopting human wisdom... Now, human wisdom is the vehicle that the satanic policy uses to promote and to propagate and to push to serve the creature more than the creator, Romans 1.25. Human wisdom is designed to keep people blinded, ignorant of what God's... And what happens here is that they are literally... The believer unwittingly, all right? I I have to say unwittingly because... I don't know of any believer that says, all right, I'm just rebelling against God today. You know, they don't, okay, so it's an unwittingly, the Corinthians are doing it. They're participating in the satanic rebellion against God. And these are believers. Now, they're not losing salvation, justification, blessings, or any of that. They're just not, again, where we started in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, they're saints, their walk isn't matching their identity. And, and that's the reason why. So 2 Timothy 2, that's why Paul brings up the princes of this world with the Corinthians in the corrective doctrine. They don't understand the seriousness of adopting human wisdom. The very, <laughs> the very means, the very vehicle whereby Satan continues to rebel against God, human wisdom, human viewpoint. And again, the believers unwittingly participate in it. And you see it here in 2 Timothy 2, look at verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now that's going to be believers. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who has taken who are taken captive by him at his will. Clearly, if you don't acknowledge the truth, then you're you're not operating with a sound mind and a sound doctrine and a sound understanding of truth, and that results in you being what? Taken snare, captive in the snare of the devil, falling falling here uh, for who are taken captive by him at his will. And what literally is happening here, again, unwittingly, they're not you know, doing this on purpose, is that they're caught. And that's why it's very dangerous. You as a believer, you're exposing yourself to the very captivity that the adversary seeks to put you in and to place you in. And it's very dangerous to think that, oh, I can just dabble a little bit in human wisdom. No, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Now, by the way, acknowledging of the truth, what is that? Well, the truth here has a context. Go back up to 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, the acknowledging of the truth here is the issue of understanding the word rightly divided is rightly dividing the word of truth. And if you don't rightly divide the word of truth, you will never be able to come to the place whereby you know what God's doing today, but you also become become at risk of falling for the devil and his trap and his snare. 
See, so right division here is, is critical in the context. Now, you can, re, you can know Scripture. I know people who know Scripture. They know it from A to Z. But they don't rightly divide the word of truth. So by knowing Scripture, that doesn't mean that you're acknowledging the truth for today. See, that means you're just, you just know a bunch of verses. You're not clear on what God's doing today. So then you, you can fall for the satanic operation. His cunning, his snares, his tricks, his beguiling, his bewitching, how he's kind of scriptural but not dispensational, the whole of it, see. So in 2 Timothy 2 here, when Paul talks to him here, the only way to free yourself from the snare of the devil is to rightly divide the word of truth, see. That's the only way to do it. By the way, if you look at 2.18, who concerning the what? The truth have erred. See? The truth. What did they They've erred saying that the resurrection has passed already and overthrow the faith of some. By the way, notice what the error resulted in. Overthrowing the faith of some. Making some shipwreck. Come down to chapter 3 and verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Ever learning. 2 Timothy 3, 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the Corinthians problem. They're ever learning. They're pulling it from all over the board, see. They're pulling all of the human wisdom in. And really, 3, 7, it's a warning here. And that's what in 1 Corinthians 2 where we're at, Paul's doing here. Ever learning, endless pursuit of knowledge. Constantly just sucking up the next thing. And, and again, when we went, when we went we're, we're going to go back over to chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2 here in just a second. What were they doing? What was Paul telling them? You guys are over here, you're fully persuaded this way until someone comes along, that, that enticing words and the mastery of oration. They come along, they snag you, then they're going to snag you a different way. You were on this track, and then they snag you to go this way. See? And you, you, you're ever learning, but what? Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, what are you doing? You're doing 2.26. 1 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 2.26, you're in the snare of the devil. Why? Because you're failing to rightly divide the word of truth. I, I, it's amazing how many people, oh, you guys rightly divide, just chop the Bible. Not at all. We're just acknowledging what God's doing today, and we're going to go and participate and do that. Now, come back to 1 Corinthians. By, by the way, you're in 2 Timothy. Just look, look real quick at chapter 1. Folks, it's critical here to remember some things. 2 Timothy 1, look, if you will, at verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power. Verse 13, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, the Apostle Paul, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 7, consider what I say and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. It's critical. Right division is critical, but so is the Apostle Paul. And if you're not paying attention, you're not rightly dividing the word of truth, you're going to end up captive, snared in, the, in satanic captivity. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 2, where we're at in verse 6 and verse 8, and he brings up this thing about the princes of this world, he's talking about, hey, there's a satanic operation whose design is to come along and to keep people blinded and ignorant from what God's doing, and then to cause that believer to now come over here unwittingly and participate in the rebelling against God's word rightly divided and against God's man, the Apostle Paul. And literally what happened, the princes of the world, the ones carrying out the policy of deceit against God's people. And again, the Corinthians are unwittingly falling victim to it 
and they're actually participating in the rebellion, rebellion against God's word and what God's doing today, and they're doing it by, adopt, by adopting human wisdom, human thinking, human viewpoint, human shenanigans, thinking that, hey, if we just do this, we're good to go. I read this book this week, and, I, and, 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 and Paul is trying to tell them, look, guys, you guys don't get what's going on. So chapter 2, verse 6, and, and, well, and, and verse 8, are <laughs> it's a disturbing passage when you think about why he's doing and saying what he's saying here. Again, a warning against the consequences of giving in, to, giving in adopting, accepting, embracing the very system the adversary uses to hold the believer captive. And that's human viewpoint, human wisdom, human anything that promotes man and degrades the creator, degrades God. And that's why, verse 6, he says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And again, the hidden wisdom isn't the event of Calvary. It's the hidden wisdom of what Calvary accomplished fully and completely for all mankind. That's not in the Old Testament. And we looked at that. And again, before the foundation of the world, he goes back before Genesis 1-1. And he says, listen, back there God had a plan, and it was for our glory, our benefit, and God kept it secret. And then when he created, Genesis 1-1, since that time, guess what? He still kept secret, the information. And the information is the full glorious details. But what Paul does in verse 6 is he says, we speak among them that are perfect. Now, Again, he's just he's telling the Corinthians, you unwittingly are participating in the adversary's plan to stay ignorant and blinded and then to go and be a participant in the rebellion. But the reason you're doing it is, is because you're an idiot. Because you're not growing. Not stupid, okay? You're not, you're not perfect. And he uses that word perfect because perfect is, doesn't mean sinless. It's talking about growth and maturity. Look, look, look down at verse 13, 213. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We want to tell you some stuff, guys, but you're, I can't because you're not able uh, to uh, look at verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. You see that we're going to compare spiritual things with spiritual. He that is spiritual, chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, i.e. what? Perfect. You see, perfect has a context of spiritual growth, maturity. Notice what he says, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able to bear it. Paul, you think about Paul, he looks at him and he says, I want to give you guys the next level of information. I want to get you going, but you, you, you can't. You're spiritually not able to. I want to give you the understanding. I want to give you the next level of doctrine. I want to talk to you about the hidden wisdom of God that he had ordained unto our glory. I want to give you the next wonderful set of information, but you're not able. You're not ready. I can't give you the necessary information that will bring you on to into your perfection because you're not even on 
you're not even in the right classroom. You're over in Human Wisdom 101. You need to be in Grace 101. You're over there. So perfection, come over to chapter 13. Just kind of illustrate it here. That issue of you're not perfect, chapter 13. Paul, it's it's to grow. That it's the issue of advancing in your your level of understanding. It's being on the right edification, education track. Again, perfect, not sinless. Obviously, the Corinthians are they're doing a good job of sinning. See. But rather, it's the issue of you're not on the right edification track. So you can't move on. You guys are all sitting over here. I told you 1 Corinthians 13. Hold on to there. Come back to Romans 6. Romans 6. You see, the Corinthians were, and on your way, go back there to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2. Hold on to 13. Just turn the page over. 1 Corinthians 2 first. And then we're going to go to Romans 6. If you look at 1 Corinthians 2, if you look at verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's a rebuke. That isn't a Paul's life verse. Okay? Paul's life verse is Philippians 1, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's his life verse. He could care less about everything else. Okay? But 2-2, notice how, I can only know among you what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 2. I have fed you with what? Do you see how he just called Calvary milk? Now, he's not degrading or debasing. He just says, that's just the beginning, guys. 3-2, 1 Corinthians 3-2. You see? He goes, I want to get you some meat. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. I want to get you to the meat, which is the next advancement, but you're not able to. Why? All I can talk to you about is Christ crucified. See? Why? Well, go to Romans 6. In verse 17, look at the Romans. Romans 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Do you see that obeyed from the heart? The Romans were faithful. The Corinthians are not faithful. See, the Corinthians are over here dabbling in human wisdom, human philosophy, human, you know, man-centered. And the Romans sit over here and say, you know what? We were in that, but we're not. We're over here now in something new and better. See? So when you think about what's happening here, now come back to 1 Corinthians 13. The use of the language, uh, in Paul's language, that use of that word perfect, it doesn't mean sinless. Just like Paul would say, uh, touching the law, blameless. Not sinless, but blameless. Every time Paul had broken the law, he went and did what needed to be to fix that that break. But look at 1 Corinthians 13. Thinking about perfect and that issue of, uh, of growth, verse 11. When I was a child, just an illustration here. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a... Man, I grew up. I growed up. Okay? What did I do? I put away childish things. Now, in human viewpoint, he with the most toys in the end wins. Do you know how childish that is? But yet, all, most of you do that. Maybe not toys on some other level. That's child. That's not how an adult thinks. That's, how, that's not how an adult talks and acts and behaves. Well, they need to... No. Verse 12. 
For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. You need, Paul is telling the Corinthians, you need to grow up. I'm telling you, you need to grow up. That's what Paul said. You guys need to, you need to move from the milk of the matter into some meat here. You need to move. You need to graduate. You need to come over to Hebrews chapter 5. You see, this is a rebuke here. This isn't uh, Paul having a happy day with the Corinthians. Because they should be at a level of edification, of education, of understanding where he can give them the next, he can give them, I'm just going to call it because what it is, the doctrines of Ephesians. See, again, Paul anticipates getting more information. He doesn't say he's got it all. He's like, I want to give you guys the next level, but you can't because you're still wallowing over here and pity party of you, of woe is me, of human wisdom, of human view. And you got to grow up. It's time to grow up here. I want to communicate the next level of doctrine to you, but I can't because you're not ready. You're not able. And if I did give it to you, then you would, you know, you would just... You would just waste it away. You wouldn't even rejoice in it. Hebrews 5. You see, what Paul, Paul's, he's telling these Corinthians, and again, the church at large today, when you look around, look at that. Most of Christianity today is sitting and doing what? Having a pity party of some sort, whatever it looks like. Usually they dance, they, they dress it up so it doesn't look like a pity party. But it is. And Paul sits there and he says, guys, I should be able to give, you should be at a, at a level of doctrine, of edification, of under, ed, education, understanding, where I could communicate the next level of doctrine to you, but you're not. I can't communicate the glorious details of the coming glory that is yours and that you're going to participate in and be a part of. I can't get you off. I can't even get you to act properly and understanding Christ crucified. Do you understand that? What did we learn in Romans 6? Come on, think about it. Should sin abound, or should it continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, yeah, I should. That's the Corinthians. The Corinthians are like, yeah, I think we should do that. So what they go do it. See, they didn't move off of justification. That's Christ crucified. He's like, if you guys had moved into identity truths, what do we learn in Romans 8? That nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. I've been glorified. You remember? Okay. I've been. He, Romans 8. Verse. 29, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You ought to pay real close attention to that verse. Sorry, Romans 8, 29. You've got to think about, you're predestinated to be conformed to the image of his dear son. Not rapture, not heavenly places. Now, that's the event and the realm it's all going to happen in. But you were predetermined to be, have a destiny of looking like and being like who? His son. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also glorified. I mean, sorry, justified. And whom he justified, them he also what? Now, there's where you're going to be conformed to the image of glorified, past tense, already done. You ought to be living in that status of living in glory. You are glorified, folks. The Corinthians were like, nah, I think we'll keep living in ourself and our sin. I mean, you got, think about your identity there. You're predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
How is he the firstborn? Resurrection and stayed resurrected. How do, how do we enjoy that? It's the rapture. It's the event. But we're not predestinated to that event. We're predestinated to the end result. The event gets us to the end result. You follow that? Okay. The Corinthians said, well, we don't, what is that? We don't have any, we're going to stay in 6-1 and we're just going to continue in sin that grace may abound because we know that if we keep sinning, grace is going to get bigger and bigger. And it does, but that's not the where to live. You got Hebrews 5. All that to get you to Hebrews 5. Okay. Hebrews 5. Illustrate this issue of milk and meat. Verse 12. Now, obviously, this is the Hebrews, okay? This isn't you and I, but it's the principle that Paul is, is, is uh, it's the principle that we can see here by the writer of Hebrews that Paul is also using with the Corinthians. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that, is, that use milk is, now watch, unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So if I can only feed you with milk, Paul, 1 Corinthians 3, then what are they? They're unskillful in the word of God, rightly divided. So if you munch on milk, then what are you spiritually? You're unskillful. Well, but I know the verses. It doesn't matter. Okay? I knew a gentleman who could quote the whole book of Psalms. Wonderful. Pretty cool to watch him do it if you got an hour because it's about how long it takes him. But what does that get you? Well, he knows Psalms. Whoop-de-doo for my Subaru. <laughs> We were talking about Subarus uh, down in Tucson the other, the other Friday night. Because that, that same guy will turn around and tell you you got to go get water baptized to be justified. See? Exactly. Somebody whistled. Okay? All right? That was good timing. I don't know who did that, but that was pretty good timing. We'll, we'll let you off the hook. Okay? But now watch verse. So verse 13 you're unskillful if you're in the milk. Now watch verse 14. By the way, here's, again, how, how Paul's describing the Corinthians, babes, not able to handle. They're not perfect. They're not mature. They're not able. They haven't grown up, verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Full age, grown, grown, groaned up, adult, able to do what? Sit at the table and eat meat. But notice what that gives them the ability to do. It gives them by the reason of use. So what are they doing? They're taking the word of God and they're using the word of God to discern good and evil. So if you're in the Corinthians and you're being duped by human wisdom and the adversary says, glad you're doing that because that's how I keep people ignorant, uh, believers ignorant and cut off from what God's doing and also cause them to participate in the rebellion that we have got going on here. If you can't use don't know how to use Scripture, then where are you going to be? You're going to be right there the whole time. But by reason of use, you grow up and you say, you know what? That's not I, Human wisdom is nothing but a waste of time, and I need to be over here in the Word rightly divided, and I need to be here, boom, 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 boom. Then guess what happens? Now you look at that and say, I don't want that. I want this. I don't want that. I want this. Do, do you see what's happening here? By the way, the Corinthians are victims of the satanic policy of evil because they're not able to discern what's happening because they've chosen a different methodology. We said, I told you a couple weeks ago, we're talking about methodologies here. They went a different route to come to spiritual understanding. 
and Paul's telling them it ain't working. It doesn't work that way. God, by the way, God wants you and I to be perf perfected now. That thing in 1 Corinthians 13, most and we, you know, we see darkly and then face to face, and they say, oh, that's the rapture. You know that rapture's not in that passage at all. It isn't even in the context until of, the, of 1 Corinthians 1 to 13, 14. You don't see the rapture until you get to chapter 15, 51. What are they doing? See, well, what they do, what religion does, by, by the way, by saying that you can't be perfect until you get to the rapture, is so that they can keep their, you under their thumb now and have Lord over you now. Because they know that if you learn and grow, what are you going to do? That ain't right, mister, and move on, see. You follow that? That's a by the way, okay? God wants you to be perfected now. He wants full-grown adults, full age right now. So because we have an ambassadorship, we have a vocation that we've got to go do, and how perfected saints do the work of the ministry. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. And verses we know, verse 16 and 17. Again, just thinking about, oh, oh man, I missed that in Hebrews 6. Oh, go back to Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, sorry. Hebrews 6. I have a note here. Don't forget Hebrews 6. So I did. Hebrews 6. All right, so we have useful of milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, verse 13, verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age. Chapter 6, verse 1, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto what? Perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Of the doctrine of, where are they? Where, they are to go where? On to perfection. It all has to do with, you need to grow up. And you don't need to keep revisiting the, mind, the little stuff. You need to nail it, put it down, done, never go back to it, and move on to the next. You should never struggle with who you are in Christ. And yet, we all struggle with who we are in Christ. What? Something's holding us up. So you got to hit it, boom, and go to the, get, nail it. Take it all back to Calvary. Nail, I was talking to some folks about forgiveness. You know what? You know what makes forgiveness so hard? You. Because you flat out don't want to do it. You know the verse tells you to do it, Colossians 3.13, but you don't want to do it. So you make it into a game. You make it into a thing. You make it, and it's, not, it's real simple. It really is. You just got to want to do it. But until you want to do it, guess what it's going to be? It's going to be a situation that you'll never do. And that's the struggle. And again, it's time, 2 Timothy 3. The Corinthians are struggling. No spiritual growth here at all. They know they're justified, and that's all they know. Even though Paul has given them Romans 6, 7, and 8, even as he has talked to them about Romans 12 through 16, they're just not moving on. They enjoy the other stuff far more because human wisdom, human viewpoint, human philosophy does what? It promotes the creature, man, over the creator, Romans 1, 25. And it does that because of the princes of this world. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. All right? Perfect. What does that mean? Comma. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Isn't that interesting? The formula. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness is going to do what? It's going to produce growth. It's going to produce an edification process that's going to, cause, that's going to fully equip you furnished unto all good works. It's going to properly equip you for the good works that you and I are to, are to go and to carry out. Now, there is no guarantee in this 
that you will perform the good work. There's no guarantee. But there is a guarantee that you have been fully equipped to do the good work. You follow that? You have to want to do the good work, and if you do it, then you're going to go do it the way God said to do it, not the way you think you ought to be doing it. Because you think you ought to be doing it this way is human wisdom. God's wisdom is you do it my way. Yeah, but Rick, my way's better. <laughs> okay, don't call me then when you're mad and frustrated. Because, <laughs> well, you can call me, but I'm going to tell you what. You didn't do it God's way. And then you're really not going to like me, which I don't really care. But anyway, go back to 1 Corinthians. On your way back to 1 Corinthians, stop at Ephesians 4. I do care. I shouldn't say that. I do care greatly because I don't want you to struggle. Again, per perfect perfection. Uh, you know what? Just Let's just go back to 1 Corinthians 2. Well, I think you get the point, and I want to talk about the princes of this world. <laughs> okay. Paul can't move forward with the Corinthians. He wants to. 1 Corinthians 2.6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Okay? I want in verse 7, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. I want to move. I want to communicate to you, but you, I can't. Because... You're not able, you're not ready to move to the next level of spiritual growth, doctrine. You're not ready. I can't. So then the question is, is okay, Paul, then why tell me you have some information here that you can't tell me about? Because isn't that what he just said in verse 7? <laughs> I have information, but I can't tell you, verse 6 and 7. So then why? Tell me, I have information that you can't, you're, you're not, you know, you're not able to handle it. Well, because it is a rebuke. He's rebuking the Corinthians. Shame on the Corinthians for not moving forward in the edification process. Shame on you. You should be moving, but you're not moving, so I can't tell you. I have information I want to give you, but I can't because you chose not to continue on the edification process. You follow? That's why he says it. See? But then he says, but if the princes of this world knew it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. That, that would have, if, if the mystery was not a mystery then human history would have been altered catastrophically back in at, at Calvary because Calvary would not have happened. I mean, you think about how, again, how startling this passage is. Now, just real quick, the princes of this world, we got 15 minutes, Ephesians 2, 15 minutes to do about eight hours worth of, worth of stuff, but we'll, we'll at least get you to understand what we're talking about here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Okay? Now, when he says who the, the princes of this world, and, and when he's talking about that, is he's talking about Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 here. Okay? Now, just think about verse 1. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, in your unsaved humanity, as far as God's concerned, what are you? Spiritually dead. You were spiritually dead. But notice the description here. Even though you were spiritually dead, you were not not active. See, a lot of people get this idea that because you're spiritually dead, you're not active. No, you are very active. What would you do? You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You walked according to the what? The course of this world. You are actively participating in the system of the world. 
which gets its influence and gets its empowerment and gets its structure from the prince, the power of the air. You see that in the middle of that verse, according to? Here's the standard. Here's the means. Here's how it's happening. You've got the prince, the power of the air. There's a spirit that now worketh in the children. This is not demonic possession, by the way. The craziest thing I ever heard is a believer being spirit demonically uh, embodied, possessed. Now, what nonsense is that? If you're in Christ and you're sealed in the Holy Spirit, and you are, and a demon gets into then where is he? He's in Christ and sealed in the Spirit. Hello, does that sound? No. See, when he talks about here the Spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, he's talking about Spirit in a not a not a hokey thing, a woo, but rather in a in a mental perspective, in a thinking pattern, an attitude. You know that. Hey, you go to a ball game and there's a certain spirit in the stadium. Alabama-Auburn. Boom. There's rough. Ohio State-Michigan. We hate each other. You know, I was watching the introductions and they're booing. Boo. Boo. That's a spirit. That's a way of thinking. That's a perspective. See. That there's a, a way that a way of thinking that grips humanity. There's an attitude that's in operation. It's called the course of this world that, that operates in the realm of the unsaved and the unbeliever. And he's again, he's talking about a way of thinking that grips humanity that is inspired by, influenced by the prince, the power of the air, the adversary, Satan, Lucifer, Diablos. Leviathan. How many other names you need to call him? The de- He's the dragon. He's the devil. He's the adversary. He's the one behind the scenes. He's the deep state. Ooh. You see, your scriptures is not, not... You think deep state's a new thing of the last couple years. No, it's been going on since Genesis 1 verse 2. There's, an op- there's a figure working behind... The scene that's designed to come in and to and to move humanity away from the Creator and God's Word, but it also has a design for that believer to come and take the believer and move them away via human wisdom, philosophy, vain, all of that. And then when you do that, unwittingly go after a thought process that isn't scriptural, it isn't rightly divided, then you unwittingly become a part of the rebellion against God's word, rightly divided. Yes, see how, 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 this is serious. This isn't just something, oh, you know, Rick's on his horse again. (laughs) This is serious. And this is what's happening to the Corinthians when they have adopted the human wisdom. They're literally feeding themselves with the spirit of rebellion, the spirit of disobedience. Verse 3, by by the way, verse 2 describes the deep state. Now watch verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You see that issue of by the natural by nature? This is, man, you think going over here and picking out in your flesh is something odd and woo-woo. No, it's your nature to be a pig, to be a hog at the slop. But what did Paul tell you? Put off that old man and his deeds and put on the new man. And you got to do that. You can't do it half and half, by the way. You know why? Because the flesh struggles against the spirit and the spirit again. And, you, and a double-minded man is unstable in his ways, James says. Proverbs says. You're either all of it or you're none of it. See, that, that's pretty brutal. See, well, I can do half because when it comes to my family, I got to think this way. No, you've lost. Nice knowing you. You're gone. 
It's all or nothing here. That's the whole thing here. The natural state of affairs is to be dominated, to be driven, to be influenced by the prince, the power of the air, and that course of the world. Now, when you think about the prince, the power of the air, the prince, top dog, main guy, the power, that's, the gov- that's authority, the governmental authority. Uh, come back with me to John 14. Just look at this guy. John 14, and we'll do this a little bit here. John 14, and look at verse 30. John 14, 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The prince of this world. Now go back to John 12, and look at verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Who's he talking about? Satan. So the prince, he's the leadership, the ruler. Now come over to Luke 8. The power, that's the governmental authority. Do you remember Luke 8? Do you remember in Luke 4? When he pulls the Lord up above everything and he says, hey, you see all this, it's all mine and I can give it to whom. He's got authority, power to do that. Look at Luke 8. Luke 8. We're going to read verse 4 and 5. The air. The air is the invisible realm. But it's an invisible realm somewhere very interesting. Luke 8 verse 4. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Okay, so where would that be? The air out there, right? Now come over to verse 11, because they're going to ask him to explain it. So he does, verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So guess what? Every time I read about a parable and it's got a seed in it, what is the seed? The word of God. Hey, isn't that amazing? Woo-hoo. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear. Now watch, then cometh the devil and take away the word out of their hearts, lest they should be sit here, uh, I'm sorry, lest they should believe and be saved. Do you see the devil Take comes? Well, in verse 5, who comes and takes it away from them? The fowls of the air. See? The devil. But the fowls of the air are where? Here on the earth, in that invisible realm. But it's connected to who? The adversary. So when he says the prince, the power of the air, we have the chief ruler of the governing authority in the invisible realm out there, but it's also here on the earth, isn't it? Break your head shaking? Yes, come on. So when he talks here about who's in charge and what Paul's talking about is that satanic policy of evil, that invisible operation that's influencing and affecting the course of the world, all of the things around and behind the world. And for time's sake, you go to Isaiah 14. And Isaiah 14, you got the five-step declaration. Go to Isaiah 14. Just forget me telling you. Go to Isaiah 14. If we had time, we would go all through the book of Ephesians. Actually, you get Isaiah 14. Go back to Ephesians 6. Because Ephesians is what tells us about all of this. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, what do we find out? We find out that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. High places. He doesn't say heavenly places. He says high places. And the reason for that is the reference in Isaiah 24 to what the Lord's going to do to the guy who, who occupies and runs and oversees the high places and the things on the earth. What's he going to do? He's going to destroy him. He's, going to, he's poking him. Now, Isaiah 14. Now, just notice this real quick here, and you'll get the, I think, I hope you'll get what's happening here. When Paul says, the princes of this world, 
what he's talking about. Isaiah 14, look at verse 4. Isaiah 14, 4. That thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. Now, let me ask you something. Is there a king of Babylon? Yes. Who is he? Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? So there is a literal man who is the king that Isaiah is going to go and say this stuff to. Now look at verse 12. Verse 9. Hell beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to thy grave, and the noise of thy vile, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms will cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weakenest the nations? Now let me ask you something. Who's Lucifer? He's that anointed cherub that covereth. He's fallen. He's going to be the devil, the Satan, the adversary. So is there, is Isaiah talking to Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. But is he also not talking to Lucifer, who's behind Nebuchadnezzar, pulling the string, the deep state? Yes. It's a yes and a yes. He's really talking to the one behind the king, who's pulling the strings of the real power. And what did he say in verses 12 to 14? I will be, I'm going to exalt, I'm going to ascend, I will be like the Most High God. By the way, it's very interesting. You ought to take some time, Isaiah 14, and the five things that he says, and then go run over and look at Philippians 2, 5 to 8, and see the five or six or eight things that the Lord does. Satan says, I will exalt. The Lord says, I will, I've descended. I chose to humble myself. I chose to be this. He's, he's the other way. It's very interesting. Anyway, you go to Ezekiel, 30, uh, Ezekiel 28. Run over there to Ezekiel 28. Oh, time to quit. Oh, well. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 2. Ezekiel 28, 2. Son of man. Say unto the prince of Tyrus, thus saith the Lord God, because thy heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, yet thou, thou art a man, and not God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Now, <laughs> who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to the prince of Tyrus, who is a man. But he's also talking to who? The guy behind the scene pulling the strings. Verse uh, 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now he's going to talk to the king of Tyrus. And he's going to say to him, thou, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, who was in Eden? The Lord Jesus Christ, Adam and Eve. And the adversary, Satan. Satan. But who's he talking to? He's talking to the king, but he's really talking to the guy behind. The prince. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 2, and we looked at those quickly, and you can look into them a little deeper. When Paul says, if the princes of this world knew, and then he says, nor are the princes of this world that come to naught, we'll look at that next time, don't limit the princes of this world to the human figure because there is an ultimate power behind the scene that's giving the, the world the power to carry out the satanic policy of evil and the Corinthians have fallen victim to it, again, unwilling, unwittingly. And they did it by adopting human wisdom, human viewpoint, the very vehicle that the adversary uses to keep the believer blinded and then to cause them to contribute or participate in the rebellion against what God's doing. That's why he brings up the princes of this world a little deeper than you're just messing with human wisdom. Here's the result now. See, 
And then he's going to again, then we'll get into the, but we speak wisdom of God in a mystery, and we'll look at all that next time, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions here. And Lord, just the warning and the seriousness of not adhering to the word rightly divided in all areas of life, in all aspects. And we thank you for your word. We have it. We can study it and look into these things and rejoice in the glory that is ours one day out in the future. In your name we pray. Amen.